you're listening to Good Hustle, a podcast about bad teams. I'm Andrew Mackey. Hello again, and welcome back to Good Hustle. I'm really excited. Over the past three weeks, the show is now available on over 10 different platforms. Thank you so much for all the new listens, the old listens, the referrals, the word of mouth. If you could leave a five-star rating on Apple, maybe a nice written review. We're still waiting for that first one. But if somebody could help us with that and get that word out, it's going to help other people find the show. It's been a real pleasure being able to make this for everybody, and I'm glad to hear that people have been enjoying it as much as they have. Also, leaving a written review really does help people find out what they're getting into. Apple does love metrics. This helps with Apple's metrics. They're pretty much Brad Pitt and Moneyball. I'm also in the process of getting the show added to Spotify, but they've been revamping how they do podcasts, and their current backlog is around six weeks. So it appears it is definitely a rebuilding season over there, but hopefully we will be up on Spotify soon enough. Also this week, some may notice that my voice has a bit of a different tone to it. For those who don't know, I do have young onset Parkinson's disease, which sometimes can affect my speaking tone. I really wanted to get this episode out on Monday, so forgive me for that late night R&B DJ voice, but just know I am playing hurt. So for those who listened to the debut episode will remember, the Tigers and Mets were chasing the modern-day baseball record for most losses in a single season. Today... We're going to go all the way back to 1899 to visit the worst team in baseball history, period. Which means the Good Hustle podcast is staying in Cleveland. The 1899 Cleveland Spiders are the worst team to ever play the game since the Cincinnati Red Stockings became the very first professional baseball club all the way back in 1869 to the very game we see today. So get ready, because if my calculations are correct, When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some seriously bad baseball. This is Episode 3 of Good Hustle, the 1899 Cleveland Spiders. Chapter 1. The Farce Has Begun My favorite baseball historian, Bill James, said about the 1899 Cleveland Spiders that, quote, The 1919 White Sox sold only one series. The Cleveland owners sold out that whole season. The late 1890s were turbulent times for baseball and for the country. Attendance was suffering everywhere due to the Spanish-American War. We were going through an economic recession, and there was an increased rowdyism among fans and players. Pretty much think hooligans in soccer over in England. Even though this season takes place the year after the signing of the Treaty of Paris, which ends the Spanish-American War, you can still get an idea of the kind of climate we're about to enter into. Professional baseball in Cleveland began on June 2, 1869, when the Cleveland Four Cities met the Cincinnati Red Stockings in a baseball game. Cleveland was represented in baseball's first professional league, the National Association, which was in 1871. That club disbanded the next year, Cleveland's return to pro baseball would come in 1879 in the National League. Ever wonder why Major League Baseball has the American League and the National League? Well, here you go. This is the very same National League, and that's why people today still call it the Senior Circuit. Teams would come and go, but Cleveland and professional baseball would go together for many years heading into this season. The Cleveland Spiders would even play at a new ballpark, League Park, located at the corner of East 66th Street in Lexington in Cleveland, Ohio. And it's still there. You can actually visit it up in Cleveland. They've turned it into an homage to many of the teams that have called it home. 
including these 1899 Spiders. So if you're interested in walking the grounds of the losingest team in baseball history, well, time to flee to the cleave. So let's get into the season and start with the man who made all of this misery possible. Frank DeHaas Robeson was a streetcar tycoon who had made his money in the horse-drawn trolley business. He, along with his brother Stanley, were the organizers of the Cleveland Spiders franchise. They had owned or partly owned the club throughout its entire existence, from its founding in 1887 as the Cleveland Blues. In 1889, when the team moved to the National League, they became known as the Spiders, and allegedly this is because of the skinny and spidery build of most of the players. Hmm, sounds good. The Spiders actually enjoyed some success from 1892 to 1898. In fact, in 1895, the Spiders won the Temple Cup, which was awarded to the winner of a postseason series between the two teams. It's kind of like the World Series, but back then they didn't have the two leagues to compete against each other. The team even had a future Hall of Famer and legend, Cy Young. He would become one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Young has over 511 wins. Even today, the award for best pitcher in all of baseball, it's named for Cy Young, and he played for the Cleveland Spiders. So before the season began, the Spiders owners, the Robesons, they made a bunch of moves that left the fans with no one doubt about what was exactly going to happen to this team. The Robeson brothers, who had been a part of the ownership since its establishment, decided to pursue an additional baseball opportunity. They bought the bankrupt St. Louis Browns and changed their name to the Perfectos. So they now own two teams in the same league. The Robesons were suddenly putting all of their efforts into the St. Louis team. They didn't give up control, though, of Cleveland, and that might strike you as a conflict of interest because it is a conflict of interest. At the time, it was fair game, though, and the Robeson brothers exploited the situation for all it was worth. St. Louis was just a few years away from hosting the World's Fair. They were about to get the Olympics. They were celebrating the Louisiana Purchase. Professional baseball was all around the city. In terms of the relationship between the Robesons and the fans in Cleveland, there's a source who's going to explain this a little bit better than I can. From Terry Pluto's memoir, Our Tribe, which is a book about the Cleveland Indians, which down the road would become another professional baseball team in Cleveland and still exist to this day, Pluto says, quote, Robeson liked St. Louis better than Cleveland. He'd had some beefs with local politicians who had banned Sunday baseball and the newspapers for being too critical. He also thought the St. Louis fans would be better behaved and more supportive of his team than the dirty-nailed, blue-collared, unsavory European immigrants who were the backbone of the Cleveland crowds. Robeson didn't exactly endear himself to the Cleveland fans when he hired scabs to operate his streetcar company, which caused some unions to boycott his baseball team. His revenge was to load his St. Louis team with the best players and stick Cleveland with the leftovers. Pluto is a columnist at the Cleveland Plain Dealer, and one of the things about this excerpt that I find particularly interesting is that, to this day, St. Louis fans consider themselves to be the best in baseball. What they mean when they say that is, is they cheer the right things, they're classy, they support the right kind of plays, they understand the game better than anybody else could. And while St. Louis definitely wears this crown, it is not unanimous. If you go on Twitter, you will see exactly what I mean if you search best fans in baseball. The person who was supposed to be at the helm of the 89 Cleveland Spiders was a player by the name of Scrappy Bill Joyce. He was slated to manage the team. He was right in the prime of his career. And he walked away from baseball rather than coach this team. Less than three weeks before opening day, the Robesons destroyed Cleveland's roster. They traded 
all the team's players, the best players, any guys with any semblance of talent. You named it. They shipped them off. And where do you think they sent them to? St. Louis. They're going to play for the Perfectos. The Spiders even offloaded Cy Young right in his prime. Back in 1899, the players had absolutely no rights. They were just owned by the team. The team could put them wherever they needed to put them. It was no different than if you owned a factory in two different parts of town. You could just put whoever you needed into those spots. That's what the Robesons were doing. They just happened to put all the best players over into St. Louis. On top of trading Cy Young, two other players who would end up in the Hall of Fame were also sent to St. Louis, and an astounding 15 other players went there as well. In return, the players that the St. Louis club didn't want were sent to Cleveland. So there we go. Spiders manager Labe or Lave Cross, I'm just going to call him uh, Lave. Congratulations, you now have about two months to come up with a team for opening day. Good luck. For good measure, the Robesons also tweaked the team's schedule. See, the Perfectos and Spiders had been scheduled to meet on opening day in Cleveland. But the brothers felt that the game in St. Louis would draw a better crowd, so they changed that too. They took away opening day. Oh man, the monsters. The best part about this too is that the city of Cleveland completely knows what's going on. They know what's happening. They know that the fix is in. They're not happy about it. The whole town is really upset that baseball is about to be ruined this summer. And they were not about to make it easy on the Robesons. Unfortunately, they were still fielding a team in Cleveland, and those guys would have to play these games. So let's play ball. Chapter 2. You are not asked 50 times a day what was the score. People take it for granted that you lost. It's April 15th, opening day of the 1899 baseball season. We're at League Field in St. Louis. The Cleveland Spiders, they're playing the St. Louis Perfectos there are a lot of familiar faces on the field. As expected, the Perfectos, they absolutely dominate. Cy Young's the starting pitcher. He only allows six hits. He gets the win. The next morning, the Cleveland Plain Dealer, they minced no words about what they had seen. They had a headline, and it was in all caps. The farce has begun. April wasn't starting very kindly for the Spiders. They had already been blown out multiple times. They'd given up 10 or more runs in five of their games. They're well off the pace of the league leaders. Despite this abysmal start, the manager, Lave Cross, said that the team were, quote, playing winning ball and are bound to finish well up in the second division. Man, he thought they were going to be good. What a trooper. The Spiders would play their first home game after nine games on the road. They were 1-8. It's a hard season. It's a hard start to the season, and you're finally about to get back to your home field in front of your home fans who adore you, right? Well... Pitcher Still Bill Hill said, quote, I'm glad I'm not a catcher. I would have the satisfaction of not being shot in the back when I play the first game. Other players remarked that they were happy that the streets in Cleveland were recently paved because they feared that if they still had gravel, the fans would throw stones at them. With the owners already having taken away opening day from Cleveland and in the midst of all the despair, fans were worrying about the remainder of the games scheduled in Cleveland. Enter team traveling secretary George Muir, who tried to reassure Clevelanders by telling Sporting Life magazine that, quote, every one of the 77 games scheduled for Cleveland this year will be played here regardless of the attendance. Then Muir would go on to say, quote, it is our purpose to strengthen the new team from week to week in an effort to make it a first division possibility, if not a probability. It should be noted that Muir did not have this printed in Comic Sans. That wouldn't be invented until 1994. 
So we're 38 games into the season, and the Spiders, they've lost 30 of them. Player manager Lave Cross would be fired because of this. What was his punishment? He was sent to the St. Louis Perfectos, where he would become their starting third baseman. Joe Quinn was now the player manager, and he had 116 games left to go. Good luck, Joe. Quinn had been the team's starting second baseman. He'd been playing baseball for almost 16 years at this point. And, as a fun tidbit, he's the first Major League Baseball player born in Australia. During the offseason, he worked as an undertaker with his father-in-law. Spiders players, they kind of thought this was a fitting profession for the guy taking over this team. If you're going to get buried, it might as well be by a professional. This is a professional baseball team in a major league city. This is Cleveland in the late 1800s, almost the beginning of the 20th century. There's a lot of people there and a lot of people who care about sports, which means that there are beat writers for this team. Cleveland sports writer Elmer Bates, he made a list about the Cleveland Spiders. He wanted to give fans the benefits of following the team this year, even though they were so bad. And here they are. They're brilliant. Number one, there is everything to hope for and nothing to fear. Number two, defeats do not disturb one's sleep. Number three, an occasional victory is a surprise and a delight. Number four, there is no danger of any club passing you. And number five, you are not asked 50 times a day, what was the score? People take it for granted that you lost. This team had been one of the best teams in baseball over the past five years, and here they are now with a list about why it's okay to follow them. This must be so frustrating for everybody living in Cleveland. I will say that Elmer Bates is the original hot take artist. I love this guy for what putting together this list. It's savage. And the benefits that he listed could explain why I tell stories about bad teams every week. As this season would progress, Cleveland would lose 24 games in a row at one point. They also had put together six different streaks of 11 or more consecutive losses. Only once did this team win two games in a row. That's awful. And in fact, it got so bad, fans stopped coming to the games. One of the owners, Stanley Robeson, begged the National League, the body that oversaw baseball, to permit his team to finish its schedule on the road. He didn't even want to play home games anymore. Cleveland was so bad that when Baltimore Oriole pitcher Jerry Knopps lost to the Spiders on July 17th, his manager fined and suspended him. That loss was the first game of a doubleheader. In the afternoon game, the Orioles beat Cleveland 21-6. While all the other National League teams were more than happy to trade road games for home games because that meant they'd be bringing in more money, only New York and Boston said no. They thought that their teams could draw fans everywhere, and if this was 2018, they'd be right. But it was 1899, and they were wrong. Only 200 fans watched Cleveland beat New York on August 25th during a home series that ended their record 50-game road trip that had begun way back on July 3rd. On August 30th, the Spiders lost to the Boston Bean Eaters 5-8 and would head back on the road for the last 36 games of their season. During this stretch, they would win one more game and they would be outscored 94-323. to When the season came to a close, the Cleveland Spiders had lost 101 games on the road. It's a record that'll never be broken because there's no way that Major League Baseball would ever let something like this happen again, I hope. Chapter 3 You are the one person in the world who had the misfortune to watch us in all of our games. The numbers don't lie. 
and they spelled disaster for Cleveland. The Spiders scored 205 fewer runs and allowed 269 more runs than any other team during the 1899 season. Their number one pitcher, Jim Hewley, won a team-high four games and lost a league-high 30. Earned run average is a statistic that takes how many runs you as the pitcher are responsible for giving up over a nine-inning game. In 1899, that average was 3.85. Frank Bates produced a 1-18 record. He had an earned run average of over seven, which might qualify as one of the worst performances ever on a baseball diamond. Except that fellow teammate, Harry Cauliflower, which again, this team has amazing names, Harry Cauliflower had an ERA of over 8 to go with his 1 win, 11 loss mark. Teamwork makes the dream work. And this is back in an era when pitchers would just literally throw until their arms fell off. It was pretty much, hey, do you think you can throw today? Sure, boss, where do you want me? Back in episode 1, when we covered the 2003 Tigers and their stinker of a season, Mike Moroth had 9 wins. This team had 15 different pitchers take the mound for them. Nobody finished with more than 4 wins. During a season in which talent and effort and pitching seem to have some problems, it only makes sense that in the Spiders finale, the team would call upon a cigar store clerk, an amateur player named Eddie Kolb, to pitch the final game against the Cincinnati Reds. Cleveland lost 19-3. This is the only time that Eddie Kolb would play in a Major League Baseball game. But here he is being mentioned on a podcast over 100 years later. He, like all Major League Baseball players, has a page to himself over at Baseball Reference. Baseball keeps track of everything. And if you're wondering why there's no story arc like the Tigers 2003 season that ends with them coming up just short of a record or any kind of redeeming fact from this season, it's because it wasn't meant to have one. This team was doomed from the start. Everything was put in place for this team to fail. And it worked beautifully, just like the Robesons wanted. The 2003 Tigers, they lost 119 games. It came down to the final six games to determine whether or not they'd break that number. The Cleveland Spiders had lost their 119th game in game 140. And even by the modern standard, they were already the worst. The Cleveland Spiders would finish this season with just 20 wins compared to 134 losses. The 20 wins are the fewest in Major League Baseball history. Their .130 winning percentage, definitely the worst. They finished in 12th place out of 12 teams. They were 65 and a half games out of first. They were 35 games out of 11th. You have to feel for the Cleveland Spiders. This team is such an asterisk on baseball history. In a sport where they compare all-time greats with current players because the game is basically the same, they make you say, modern day worst record when referencing the Tigers or the 1962 Mets because this team was such an abomination. They were forced to play over 100 games on the road. They never got to play home games. Their owners didn't want them. They were the castoffs, the misfits. They were the wanderers. This team was a living transplant patient for the St. Louis Perfectos. Before an era where these guys were getting paid millions of dollars, they have off-season jobs, and if they didn't want to play for this team, they couldn't play for any team. That's how owned they were by the management. Remember earlier in the podcast the story I told you of George Muir, the team's traveling secretary? How he told everyone that they would play all their games in Cleveland that season and that they were trying to get better week to week? There's a legend about him. 
it's that the Spider players awarded him a shiny watch at the end of the season. The legend goes, quote, We are doing this for you only because you deserve it. You are the one person in it who had the misfortune to watch us in all of our games. I hope it's true. There's never been any confirmation. Sometimes it's a locket, sometimes it's a watch. But I hope it's true. Frank Robeson turned a pretty nice profit in St. Louis, and the 1899 pennant would go to Brooklyn. The Perfectos would finish fifth. Before the season, the owners in Brooklyn and Baltimore, they merged their teams together, and they put all the best players on Brooklyn, who improved from 10th place to first. After the season, the National League admitted that the situation had to change. The league, they thought, was too big with 12 teams. Multiple teen ownership, that was destroying the integrity of the game. And most importantly, it cheated the fans. The National League decided that they would contract four teams. Washington, Baltimore, Louisville, and the Cleveland Spiders. The league paid out around $150,000 to purchase the four franchises to shut them down. Frank Robeson received $25,000. The next year, the St. Louis Perfectos would change their name to the St. Louis Cardinals. They're still in existence. They've won 11 World Series since 1900. If you're interested in learning more about the history of the Cleveland Spiders, I cannot recommend enough the book Rowdy Patsy Tabot and the Cleveland Spiders Fighting to the Bottom of Baseball, 1887 to 1899. It's by David L. Flates. It's an amazing read if you're interested in learning more about the story that I just covered today. He covers the franchise from its entirety, though, from the very beginning to their glory days to the tragic end. There's been a lot written about this team. Some of it was hard to confirm as accurate or not, and I tried my best to put in what I could to double check or find with primary sources, but if you're interested, definitely check out Flights' book. I'm also starting a new YouTube addendum to this podcast called Good Hustle Postseason, where I will give my own thoughts about my research and the things I found that couldn't get into the show. We'll see how it goes. Sometimes I finish these seasons and I just want to tell someone more about it. It's not a lot of people, though, want to chat about the 1899 National League baseball season nowadays, so YouTube it is. Have a team you'd like featured on Good Hustle? Tell us by visiting listentogoodhustle.com. Good Hustle is created, written, edited, and hosted by Andrew Mackey. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew Mackey, on Instagram at Hello Mackey, and the show's new Instagram at Listen to Good Hustle.